Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, joined, as I always am on Tuesdays, by Derek Klassen, scouting expert for Football Outsiders. Derek, uh, I mean, we're in the midst of the fantasy playoffs. I want to say congrats to everybody that's still alive, but a lot of people are still alive because we still have two games to come on Tuesday, really throwing a wrench in our weekly schedules. Hope you're doing okay. Dude, it, it is too jarring that we have their Tuesday games again. I don't like it. I even tweeted on like Saturday, I think, like I'm over like NFL Saturday. Like yeah, yeah. I, I already don't like it. So let, let's get back to the normal schedule, hopefully. It's it's, just imagine if you had to project fantasy football players every week like some of us. It's it's really <laughs> yeah, I don't need this, you know, avalanching on me during the holiday season. But you know what? Can't really complain because it, it's fantasy football, it's all in good fun. Uh, like one interesting thing is like, I feel like last week we were particularly down on the Seahawks running game and Rashad Penny and what his value might be, but we still don't even know if we screw people up with that uh, advice yet. So maybe that's a good thing. I guess we'll find out a little bit later. Um, the good news about that is it turns out there's going to be a lot of potential waiver wire options for people that are still alive this week. I think a lot more than you had last week. So if you save some fad, uh, fab money, that could really be good for you. Um, but before we get into the waiver options for week 16, let me remind everybody that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now for annual subscriptions, limited time offer. So head to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to check out all of our stats analysis and great fantasy information. Uh, Derek, I think we settled on maybe seven guys. It's actually even a smaller set than the full article that I have up on footballoutsiders.com right now. So people check that out if you want the full list. But even coming up with guys that we haven't talked too much about, this is going to be a compelling list. The first few running backs, I'm saying 100% fab bids here. Like, obviously, at this point in the season, spend what you need to spend to grab these guys. I think Ronald Jones is my choice for the best player to add. Uh, running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Leonard Fournette was one of several Buccaneers players that got hurt last Sunday night, unfortunately. Uh, and I think Jones is going to be the main one to add here. He's been tremendously successful as a handcuff previously to Fournette. Uh, even back in the days when it was less sure about which one was the number one running back and which one wasn't. Um, but I, I mean, I feel like there are a few angles we could talk about here. I think the obvious part is that he's just going to make up for the workload for Fournette. Fournette's going to miss a week or two, something like that, with a hamstring injury. Uh, Giovanni Bernard is already out for at least two more games because he's on injured reserve. So it seems like Jones could have the full workload. Do you think that he has the skill set to kind of make that work for you in fantasy? I mean, truthfully, I'm kind of over Ronald Jones at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know his success rate is decent, but like to me, a lot of that is kind of comes down to just the kinds of looks that he's getting compared to Fournette over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, kind of the same situation we see with like Dallas with, you know, Zeke between Pollard, that sort of thing. I think they complemented each other very well, and that's why that works. Um, I think generally Jones is like just an incredibly volatile runner. Um, he's good for a couple of explosive plays, but like, I think he's also very prone to fumbling and I think he's prone mm. to turning what could be a four yard gain into a one or two yard gain. Cause he just runs into the back of somebody. Um, however, I trust the bucks offense a lot. I know that over the past month or so they have not looked as good, but I trust them to get back on their feet kind of the same way. I trusted the Rams to get back on their feet when they were struggling, you know, six weeks ago or whatever it was. Um, so I kind of have faith in them there. I think the offensive line is very good. And I also don't think his, you know, the other option here, Keyshawn Vaughn is any good. I think he's, <laughs> at, I think he's as bad or worse in terms of, you know, the vision issues that I have with Jones. And I just don't think he matches some of the potential that Jones has to, to rip off explosive plays. So even if I'm kind of over Jones as like a player, I think the situation here is kind of too good for him to not 
put you know put up numbers i mean the bucks play the the panthers twice in the next three weeks so that i mean we call that a slump buster in fantasy football i think it's, <laughs> it's got to be good news for jones and these and these crew uh, i'll start with the positive first you, you brought up the rushing success rate over the last two years jones is is third among running backs with 100 or more carries with a 59.1 percent rushing success rate that includes the playoffs this year he's also third among guys with 50 plus carries 63.4 percent I think I'm probably with you. I think maybe he's had an easier difficult difficulty set of carries than, say, Fournette has had. But the good thing about rushing success rate is that is adjusted by the difficulty of the carry. So, I mean, it's it's a good thing that he's doing well in that stat. To me, the issue is all about, you know, the the potential for targets because Fournette, this is really weird. So Fournette and Jones were were both among the three highest drop rates among running backs last season among the heavily targeted guys. Fournette kind of figured it out. Like he improved from a 16.3% drop rate last year to 7.8% this year. And I think is leading all running backs with 84 targets this season. Like he's up there with Austin Eckler if he's not quite leading. So it's like, wow, that, that went really well. Meanwhile, last year, Jones and Fournette had a pretty even distribution of targets. This year, Fournette 84 and just nine for Ronald Jones. So you're just like, you know, is this a situation where Jones will only run the ball? And like maybe Keyshawn Vaughn will be more involved from a target perspective. They were... They played similar numbers of snaps last week after Fournette went out. Is that a concern you would have? Maybe a little bit, but again, I I don't know if I trust Vaughn to be anything close to what Fournette is in the passing game. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a situation where um, he's going to completely overshadow him the way that Fournette has overshadowed Jones at this point, which to your point, I, I don't really understand how Fournette all of a sudden figured that out. <laughs> he had like bricks for hands for years he did. <laughs> um, and kind of just does it now. It's just really nice for the, the Bucks. Um, I guess Brady teams always somehow find a way to have stuff like that happen. Um, but I don't know. I think as far as Vaughn taking too many passing reps away, I don't know that that's going to be an issue for them. Yeah, I don't have a stat for this, but Vaughn got a very, very catchable target last week, dropped it, and then Brady gave him that look. You know, the look yeah. that it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's Yeah, it's like what Peyton Manning used to do with uh, with Donald back in the day. It's just like, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't want to be getting that look as a young player. So. I think Jones is more or less going to end up being a full substitute for Fournette in the short term, even if a lot of the reason is that they just don't have better options. So that's why for me, I think it makes sense to go all in. Uh, but there are a couple of other running backs that I feel like could be in the mix uh, for your number one guy. I mean, we, we've discussed Jeff Wilson, so we're not going to bring him up again, but he's potentially still available in about a third of leagues could be an option for you. And then another player I think we should discuss is Duke Johnson running back for the Dolphins. I'm saying a little bit less of a fab bid here at an 81% bid, but I mean, spend up if he's kind of your only option here as a potential. I don't know how much of this is COVID related or not. This is really tricky, but Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and Philip Lindsay, all three ended up on the COVID list last week at times. So they had to call up Duke Johnson. They thought that maybe he would be really the only player that they could even have on the 53 man to play. Gaskin and Ahmed did end up clearing that list. But Johnson still dominated the backfield anyway. 23 touches versus 10 for Gaskin. Ahmed basically didn't play. Uh, And and Johnson also took 58% of the snaps and had a ton of success. 107 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Derek, do you have a sense how much this was, you know, Johnson benefiting from playing a soft Jets matchup? Is this maybe lingering COVID effects for Gaskin and that's why he didn't play as much? I don't know what to make of it, but I'm a little bit intrigued just because Johnson had such a successful day. I do kind of wonder how much of this is kind of just COVID related with some of the other guys just getting pushed down um, the lineup a little bit. Granted, I don't think I've ever been too excited about Gaskin on this show. So it could also just be that, you know, they 
find Duke Johnson to be a lot better. When I went back and watched the game, I don't really think Johnson has the same juice that he used to, and I don't think he bounces off tacklers very well. He's not going to be a guy who gains extra yards um, you know, as a physical player. But I do think he looked really smooth in space, and I think with a lot of the way that Miami likes to run these RPOs where you can create these kind of bubbles in the defense um, by virtue of pulling somebody out of the box if you're going to, you know, give the ball and they're going to, you know, linebacker is going to go chase some wide receiver screen or whatever. I think he's actually pretty good at maneuvering a lot of that, and I think that's why he had some of his success. Um, again, like you said, that Jets defense, that Jets, de- yeah. that Jets run defense is so much worse than, like, the individual talents are on that defensive line. I actually feel like they have pieces. They just cannot defend the run um, for anything. So I don't know. I don't know what the problem is there, but um, I think generally, honestly, Johnson looked good enough in in this action that I would be sort of willing to bet that he could do it again. Maybe again, Gaskin takes over if, if he's a little healthier with COVID, but I've never liked Gaskin too much to begin with. So I think Johnson has, you know, every bit of right to, to fight for this starting spot again. Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily jumping with joy that Johnson's just going to be this tremendous player for the team, obviously kind of past his prime probably at this point in his career. But to me, there's a big question about fit. Because like the Dolphins have a really bad offensive line, 3.58 adjusted line yards. That's second worst. I think only the Texans are worse, although they're they're kind of a lot worse. Don't look at that <laughs> if you're a Texans fan. Uh, but like Gaskin, capable receiver, right? But is he a good fit behind a bad offensive line like that? yards after contact per attempt is the lowest among running backs with 100 or more carries this season. I just wonder what somebody that's a little bit more physical, a little bit like better through contact might do for that offense. The funny part is I'm not even sure that Johnson is that player, but at least on Sunday, (laughs) 63.6% rushing success rate. It's just like way better than Gaskin. Gaskin's bottom five in that sense at 42.4%. So it's like, you know, what has Gaskin done to lock down that number one job? I don't think a ton. And while I don't think it's his fault, you know, that's why I think that it's a possibility here that, that Johnson could take over down the stretch here. Uh, Brian Flores, the head coach, did tell reporters that he thought Johnson gave the team a spark and the team ended up signing him to their active roster for the rest of the season, which is notable because, like, as a practice squad player, he would have by default been, like, you know, sent back down to the practice squad after the game. So I think there's some signs that this could be the thing. The question is, are you gonna are you gonna trust that transition for you in the fantasy playoffs? I don't know. I almost like this better as a an addition to prevent any opponent from playing him, but I'm not sure I would pull the trigger on starting him unless I really had to. Yeah. The the only other thing I would say is that um Duke Johnson only had uh one target, which mm-hmm. I think the longer he's in the offense, he probably will get more targets. Agreed. Um, even if that's you know I, I don't know. I, I just imagine that because that was his value previously for so many other teams, what he could do as a receiver, especially splitting him out. I think the longer that he gets in this offense, they will find more ways to get him involved there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's keep going with some other waiver wire options for week 16. A lot of interesting wide receivers to discuss as well. I'm a little bit less confident in my order of these guys too. So I'd love to get your opinion on that when we kind of stack them all out there, Derek. First one that I listed is Gabriel Davis for the Buffalo Bills. I think it's pretty clear that he's like the third or maybe even the fourth target option for Josh Allen on the Bills. But Emmanuel Sanders is still week to week with his knee injury. So I think it's unlikely that he'll be back for week 16 and maybe not even for week 17, which gives people a bit of a window here for Davis. And even though Davis is like clearly behind, you know, your Stefan Diggs and stuff in the offense, man, has he been productive from a fantasy sense when he's played both last year down the stretch and this year. On Sunday, he had five catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns on seven targets. 
And he's had eight and seven targets the last two weeks when he set season highs of 83% and 90% snap shares. So it seems like with the extra work comes extra targets and then the touchdowns have just been outrageous. He actually leads all wide receivers um, per 100 targets the last two years, 12.0 touchdowns per 100, 9.9 expected touchdowns per 100. Seems like an unbelievable touchdown score. What do you think? Has this just been kind of a weird small sample quirk or, or does Davis have like the real skills to maybe be a Dawson Knoxian type of touchdown score for the Bills? I don't know if uh, I don't know if uh, you know Dawson Knoxian is, is, is quite as Fair. as good as what he could be, but or even a real word, probably not. Probably not. Uh, but what I will say is that to the same effect that uh, that uh, Knox is effective in this offense, Davis is a bigger body. He's only like six two two ten, which is not huge. He's not Mike Evans, but he's still bigger than everybody else on that roster. And I think um, he does a particularly good job stretching the field. Um, in this game, he caught like a post, I think, in the back of the end zone, which, like, that's, like, the classic way that he's going to score. And it's a route that, like, Josh Allen loves to throw, and he's extremely willing to to make those kinds of tough throws down the middle, especially, um, you know, even against, like, single high safety. Mm-hmm. So he'll try to fit it in there. So I think he kind of – Davis has always fit what the offense wanted to be when they could get vertical. I think we've just seen a lot this year that, you know, especially with some of their pass protection problems, they've had issues doing that which is, I think, part of why they favored, you know, bring in Emmanuel Sanders, who can do a little bit more of everything, even if he can stretch the field, whereas Davis is more of like, that's kind of all he's got. Yeah. But I think if you can get into these situations where, you know, against these defenses, maybe where they are not going to be pressured as much, Davis is a great fit because, you know, we know they're going to send him down the field and we know that Josh Allen is very willing to make those throws. So, and he's pretty good in terms of, you know, body control and seeing the ball in um, and stuff like that. So I think he's a really good, Deep threat, I think you're just kind of banking that the Bills have one of those days where they can hit on those. And I'm wondering how much the the other things in the Bills offense might contribute to the fact that Davis has been getting so much look in the red zone. Because, I mean, it's a combination of multiple factors. One, it's Josh Allen being a really good red zone runner himself, I think attracts a lot of defensive attention, especially when you're talking about guys like Dawson Knox being on the field. Like Davis has to be a bit of a defensive afterthought, and that really opens up great opportunities for him. Plus, you don't really have running backs that are great scores near the red zone, especially when the team has been deactivating Zach Moss of late. Singletary is not going to be a battering ram, and there he's just too small for that, right? Uh, and then two, three, like Allen, having the arm strength that he does kind of opens up every part of the, the the end zone for targets near the red zone. It's just like, doesn't it seem like this offense is particularly well designed for somebody like Davis to score a lot of touchdowns? It is. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, to your point, like, Josh Allen is, I mean – because he can fit in those. I mean, like I said, the the post through the 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 post touchdown that he threw, the window was outrageous. It was between mm. two defenders in the very back of the end zone. Like, there's not very many quarterbacks who can do that, and he is like the perfect wide receiver in this current construction of the Bills' offense to be running those routes and to be put in those spots. So, I think I actually agree that um, you know, because I obviously already you know some of the players we're going to talk about, and I know how you've stacked them. This is probably the guy I would have had. You had highest among the receivers just because like you're mentioning like the scoring potential i think is just different compared to the rest of the guys on the list so we have a question from ccx3 that is is really on topic so i'm going to go ahead and hit on it now and by the way thanks for everybody following along with us live on youtube twitter twitch and facebook football outsiders is live monday through friday 1 to 2 p.m eastern time so jump on there and ask us questions ccx3 asks which should i spite add which i love that term 
so my opponent doesn't get to use him in the fantasy playoffs this week, Gabriel Davis or Duke Johnson. Like I, I'm rating Johnson as the as the more expensive fab recommendation because uh, I feel like there might be a little bit more demand for him. Obviously, everybody's always looking for running backs, and we've had some injuries at the position. But weirdly, I almost wonder if I would rather add Davis because maybe I want somebody to start Johnson against me. If I'm, I feel like there's there's definite downside with with Johnson, and that what happens if he only gets five touches this week, and you know you're back to sort of the status quo for the Dolphins. But Derek, what what is your thought on the matter? I would say take Davis away just because I think, yeah, to your point, there's probably a higher floor just in terms of like this week, knowing what we're going to get from him. And like Davis could have another day where he scores two touchdowns or something. You don't know. So is it, I, we haven't part, discussed this part of it, but I believe aren't the bills playing the Patriots again. Does, does mm. that move the needle for you where the Patriots have a little bit more depth at cornerback than a lot of other teams will you know, I know it's not going to be 40 mile per hour wins in New England. So the Patriots may have to throw the ball. This may be a little bit more normal of a game, but does the defensive opponent kind of throw a wrinkle into this mix too? Not really. It might for like Stefan Diggs having to deal with JC Jackson, but I don't mm. think for the rest of the Bills, it's that big of a deal. And honestly, like I thought Josh Allen threw the ball pretty well in that, you know, it was that ridiculous win game, like agreed. as well as you could given the situation. So I would like to think there was some more normal conditions. You might be okay in this game. <laughs> okay, let's keep going with some of these other wide receivers that might make sense for week 16 waiver ads. Christian Kirk was next on my list for the Cardinals. He's a little bit higher on the depth chart pecking order for the Cardinals uh, than, than Gabriel Davis is for the Bills. I mean, now especially that DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the rest of the regular season. Unfortunately there, I still, I mean, if you made me say, I would say that AJ Green is the number one wide receiver. But Kirk has definitely been, of those two, the bigger beneficiary um, whenever Hopkins has been out this season. So he's gone from 5.2 targets and 11.8 PPR points per game with Hopkins playing to 8.3 and 15.0 without Hopkins. And Hopkins has now missed four games already. So that's giving you a little bit of what I would call like the true thing here. Green, meanwhile, he's increased his targets from 5.4 to 7.0 without Hopkins but the PPR points per game have gone down from 11.2 to 7.9. That can be a touchdown quirk. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that that sort of split could exist, but I'm wondering whether green may be kind of like a, a 1.5 num- uh, receiver where it's like, he's really good when you have somebody like Hopkins attracting defensive attention. But as soon as he's getting every team's number one corner, he may be not good enough to separate against all of those guys. So I, I was curious what your thoughts were, for Kirk and maybe the broader Cardinals offense right now without Hopkins. I mean, I think that green point is pretty spot on. Like he just doesn't have the juice that he used to have when he was, you know, younger, when he was at the Bengals where he could separate all the time. He's still a very, you know, clean route runner and he still generally has good hands and stuff. But like, yeah, to your point, like when you're the number one guy and you have to separate from their best, he just doesn't have that anymore in a way that especially Hopkins does. So I think that's been a big problem for them. I do think part of the reason that Kirk gets a lot of run in this offense, and especially this last week, is they use, I mean, they run like shallow crossers and stuff all the time or other short, like in-breaking routes just to get the ball moving to get, it's it's almost like an extension of their run game in a way where they're just trying to get cheap yards after the catch. Yeah. Christian Kirk is kind of their guy for that. They run him on a ton of shallows, a ton of like five and in routes, that sort of thing. So they really just use him as like this horizontal stretcher across the middle of the field. Um, and they only really use him, especially I think in the underneath area. Um, like I said, especially as of late, they had him on a couple screens. Um, the only like deeper target I can really remember is he ran like a deeper crossing route. And then Kyler Murray had to like 
scramble a little bit and he found him really late in the play. So to me, if that's like the only explosive, you know, kind of targets that you can get, that's a little bit worrisome for me. But I think without Hopkins and with him being their best, like short area running catch guy, other than Rondell Moore, who to me at this point can only really catch screens. um, I think it opens up just too many targets for Kirk to not be, not be productive. Yeah, and then two more good points in Kirk's favor. I would say I thought Moore was probably going to get more involved last week without Hopkins there, but unfortunately for him, he injured his ankle. So, like, we don't know if he's going to play in Week 16. We don't know if he may miss multiple weeks. He could play and not really be able to play that much. So I think the dream of Moore being a little bit more heavily involved on the stretch here may be, may be dead. And I think that that kind of makes it clearer that Kirk and Green are going to be the top two guys for the Cardinals the rest of the way, and I think makes Kirk a better option for you in fantasy. The other point in his favor, at least for week 16, maybe specifically compared to Gabriel Davis, is the Cardinals are playing the Colts. Mm-hmm. So one, and it's at home. So one, you get the, the dome benefit there, uh, being at home in Arizona in the dome. But two, the Colts have a very big split as a defense, as the number five run defense, but number 17 pass defense by DVOA. And I think correspondingly, they've cut run plays by 10% per game. This seems like the, the type of game where the Cardinals are going to want to air it out a little bit more or, or kind of have to, and that may be to like a great benefit here for for uh, for Kirk. So does that, in your mind, move the needle? Like, would you rather have Kirk or are you still sticking with Gabriel Davis as the better value uh, from a fantasy waiver perspective? I mean, I might still stick with Davis, um, truthfully. I think also in part, too, because like I think the Colts actually do a really good job up front um just kind of condensing the pocket against guys which i think is going to be particularly a problem against kyler murray i think we saw even this past week Mm -hmm. detroit did a really good job of not even necessarily forcing him out of the pocket but just constricting it and making him feel like he's kind of stuck in there and i think that that's something the colts are going to be able to do um i also would slightly be worried about how many snaps kirk is going to have to deal with uh kenny moore like yeah. that would be a problem. He's one of the best, you know, nickel cornerbacks in the NFL and they like to play Kirk out of the slot a lot. So that would be a little bit concerning to me. Whereas with Davis, I feel pretty confident that he's not going to run up against the Patriots Jackson. best corner. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I think I would probably still feel slightly better about Davis than Kirk in this scenario. Well, you brought up the Lions, and we have, I think, one more receiver that could be part of this mix for for teams, and that's Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver for the Lions. I mean, the guy just keeps getting tons of targets. It's 12, 12, and 11 targets the last three weeks. That gives him a 34.3% target share. That's fourth highest among wide receivers up there with guys like Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, and Michael Pittman, at least two of which I think are slam dunk top five wide receivers in fantasy. Pittman, a little harder to say, especially after he got ejected last week, but whatever, that's not important. The important thing is that that St. Brown has been getting a ton of work of late, and I know that you haven't necessarily thought he's an extreme talent, but the Lions just may be in a position where they have to rely on him. TJ Hawkinson's out for the rest of the season. I think you've said before that, you know, Josh Reynolds maybe isn't wowing you with his own <laughs> skill set too. So like St. Brown, like from a fantasy perspective, if not a real life perspective, seems like a really good option, doesn't he, Derek? Yeah, I mean, like kind of to your point, like without having Hawkinson, they have to force targets somewhere. And I think especially if we assume that, you know, a guy like Hawkinson can be valuable in the short to intermediate area, which he he really, really was this year, which is in part with Goff being a, a very low ADOT player this year. Yeah. Um, but like if, if his targets are gone, somebody has to replace those in the short area. And I think Edmund Ross St. Brown has done a pretty good job of that. They run him a lot of on, on underneath stuff, kind of like Kirk, but the way the Cardinals use Kirk is more to like, like I said, get him moving across the field and get him yards after catch. 
Amon Ross St. Brown is, is kind of the opposite where they run him on a lot of stuff where he's stopping, trying to sit in zones. Um, they'll run him on outbreakers. Um, they ran him on like four or five outbreakers. I feel like um, in this past game where they're just trying to get him the ball and, and get the ball out of Goss hands. Uh, most importantly, I think they've done a better job of making their quick game easier on Goff. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown has been the biggest beneficiary of that. I also think like, you know, it's funny you mentioned Cup. I think part of the reason that Amon Ross St. Brown has been able to have value is he's pretty decent. He's done a pretty decent job of blocking and they'll put him in the slot. They'll motion him tight to the formation and they'll run him on like leaks and stuff like that's how yeah. I think he got his touchdown this past game. So I think he's just done a, lo- a really good job of being like the pseudo tight end filling in for what Hawkinson did. Even if he, you know, when Hawkinson comes back, he probably is going to lose some of that. Yeah, time. I mean, I think that's fair, but it, I mean, you, you should be safe in that respect for the next two weeks of right. the fantasy playoffs, unless Brock Wright, my favorite name to tie in <laughs> in fantasy, uh, kind of emerges late here. Uh, but I'll say too that, that St. Brown, while I don't think he necessarily has the skill set to do a ton more than he's doing, 0.056 receiving plus minus per target this season is 13th highest among wide receivers with 50 or more targets. He's right between Jalen Waddle and Tyler Boyd. And that is a depth adjusted st- stat. Like, again, I don't know if he can really broaden it with the skill set that he has, but he's been like a, an above average catcher of the ball, whatever you want to term that, uh, given where he's seeing his targets. So, like, in that sense, maybe he's a good fit for Jared Goff when Goff can't really push the ball down the field to some of the guys like Khalif Raymond that may be better in that sense of things. So, like, this is where the, the fantasy part of the equation gets into the mix, Derek. But, like, what are your thoughts on comparing him to Gabriel Davis, where, you know, if you're getting 12 targets a game, then you're going to be more useful in fantasy because you're getting those PPR points just by getting catches, but obviously doesn't have the same touchdown upside. So like, how would you unpack him? How would you stack him up with he and Christian Kirk? I think if it's an, a scenario where you're in PPR or you have maybe your other starting receivers have more potential and you kind of just need to get points on the board, um, that St. Brown is fine because like you said, I think he's probably going to continue to get around 10 targets um so long as this is the core that they're running out there but i don't i i just think i like davis's explosive potential too much to okay i mean i agree that's i put them in the order that i put them in yeah (laughs) and i'm curious so like i've been kind of pushing the hunter renfro thing as well of late and teams eventually figured out that's the only guy that the that the the raiders can throw Mm -hmm. to right now and it does seem like another shoe could drop here with saint brown at a really bad time for fantasy players so that would, that would be kind of the caution, but I'm not going to tell you not to pick him up because I think it could help you. All right, we've got a couple more running backs to hit on here before we get to the, the tight end dynasty draft that I don't even think I pitched that at the top of the show. That's coming, guys. So if you're, if you're here, we'll, we'll have that for you in a little bit. But let's talk about a couple more running backs for the waiver wire. So Matt J.P. Ryan running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. This is kind of Ronald Jonesian situation here where Joe Mixon suffered an ankle injury. Uh, last I've checked, we haven't really had an update to know whether this is going to be, you know, any absence, a multi-week absence. I don't know if it's a low or high angle sprain or what, but I think if you have Mixon, especially on your fantasy team, Perrin is a big need to add as a handcuff, but I'm curious what you think, Derek. I was, I think that Jones is a much better fantasy choice. Um, part of it is just that we've seen him in that handcuff role before and Mixon for all of the the like fantasy injury concerns we had entering the year hasn't missed a game yet this year. So we don't really know what the handcuff situation is. Chris Evans is a fifth round rookie, I think, but more of a receiving back and was a bit involved last week, six snaps versus 16 for Perrin. So we just, I don't feel like we know what's going to happen here, but I don't know. What's your sense? Like, do you like Perrin's skill set? Do you think that he can be a Ronald Jones type of handcuff or 
is there are there reasons for concern? I'm not too interested in Samaja Perrin at this point. Um, I think coming out of Oklahoma, he was one of those, you know, he was a very fun, violent runner, but I think we've just kind of seen um, the longer he's been in the NFL, like it's very hard to be that guy over the course of the season. Um, yeah. It's also very hard when you just don't have any of the explosive potential to like marry your violence with anything. Um, you know, he- Derek Henry works the way that he does because he can also hit home runs. I think Samaja mm-hmm. Perrin doesn't really have any of that. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. It's also just like the Cincinnati, you know, offensive line is not good. Um, and I think they're also very clear with their run past hills. Like when they get under center, they are running the ball. And I think against, you know, when they're going to run up, you know, into the Ravens here pretty soon, like the Ravens defense is too smart to where you get into just these under center and you have a bad offensive line to just run at them. And they're, they're just too good at that. So I think, just as an individual talent, I'm not very interested in Perrin. And then I think the situation here is just not very favorable for him to produce, I don't think. I think the, the Bengals would be very comfortable just throwing the ball at Burrow. Yeah, I mean, Derek Henry, I, I, I like that you brought him up. I was going to say, I think there's a very fine line between being like a trucking type of power back. Like a, I think we think Ramondre Stevenson is maybe training that way. Yep. A.J. Dillon's maybe training that way. There's a fine line between that and then being like a big plotter. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like Perrin may be on the, the Mike Davis side of it. I hate yep. to say as like a big Mike Davis fan for the Panthers last year, but it's like the juice isn't quite there. And so I, I wonder if there's going to be a lot of like crashing into the line, you know, maybe getting a yard after contact, kind of pushing the pile a bit, but then ending up with 15 carries for 42 yards kind of a situation. And like, you know, that, that may be a particular concern for, for him this week if it's a one-week sub for Mixon. Because they're playing the Ravens. And you know, the Ravens, even before the total disaster of injuries they've suffered at cornerback and, and safety and everything, they had a very big split between the fourth best run defense DVOA and the 26th best pass defense. And so they're a, even more extreme than the Colts, cut or a run plays by 13% per game. So if Mixon isn't in there doing the special things that he does, I just feel like the, the Bengals are going to maybe put this all on Joe Burrow. And I just don't know what's going to be left over for Perrin. You're just kind of hoping that maybe the the Bengals can land on the on the goal line and he can kind of run in a touchdown that way. But I think there's major risk that it could be a, a bigger volume of, of carries that don't turn into a lot of fantasy value. I, I mean, yeah, even then, like, I think with this particular matchup, if he just didn't get 10 carries even, I wouldn't be surprised. Just because yeah. kind of like you said, like, they're, they were already not a good secondary and they are decimated with the guys who are even already bad. So it, It's a tough spot for the Ravens right now, but that may yeah. not help. Aaron achieving fantasy. Okay. One more guy to hit before we get to the tight end dynasty draft. Frankly, I don't think this guy has any fantasy value in the short term, but I'm bringing up Craig Reynolds running back for the lions because he's been very successful in fantasy the last two weeks. He's had 13 and 27 touches the last two weeks. um, When both Deandre Swift and Jamal Williams have missed games for various reasons and had a 67.3% carry share that's tied for seventh among running backs. So I'll say before I even get started with all that, I was really surprised that he's been like the guy when I know that the team is missing its top two players, but they have Jamar Jefferson, who I think is a pretty good player for a seventh round rookie. And he just hasn't been involved at all. Reynolds is like an undrafted journeyman. I think this is his third team in three years, but kind of seems like he has a little bit of juice. Jamal Williams already come off the COVID list as of Monday. I think very likely he's going to play this week. Swift, a little less certain. He's coming back from a shoulder injury, and you know who knows? They may shut him down for the rest of the year for all we know. The Lions don't really need to win games, right? But I just wanted to get your thoughts on Reynolds 
as a talent from what you've seen the last two weeks? Is he a player the Lions may want to try out and see if maybe for 2022 he's worth being in the mix? Like, what are your thoughts broadly? I don't really think he did a whole lot of, of anything, especially this past week. Um, I, I think that that Lions offensive line is just really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did a good job of, you know, being sort of patient at the line of scrimmage and and not just running himself straight into into the the backs of his linemen. I don't think he was rushed where he was like, oh, you know, I'm finally getting my chance. I need to just run ahead and get every yard that I can get. I think he was pretty patient in that regard, but um, I don't know. I, I think his balance is pretty whatever. I don't think he has like any sort of breakaway speed to me. He just kind of feels like a cheaper version of what they have mm-hmm. in Jamal Williams, um, like that sort of play style. So um, I don't know. I think he was fine for like the the immediate as like a quick fix. But to me, that was uh, especially this past week, it was just a lot more like yeah. that line's offensive line is really, really good. And the Cardinals front, especially without J.J. Watt, is not very good. <laughs> like those guys <laughs> get bullied around in the run game. So yeah. um, I think it was kind of just a perfect marriage of situation. I mean, that's that's good for fantasy players in the short term. It, it kind of makes it clear what what you need to do here, which is like if Jamal Williams plays this week, especially if he and DeAndre Swift both play, then, then then leave Reynolds on your waiver wire. But keep an eye just because like with the good offensive line they have, if he ends up being the guy again this week, then maybe you have some opportunity to benefit from a fantasy perspective. Just don't rush to your, your dynasty waiver wire, I guess you could say for him. But speaking of dynasty, I think it's time to move on to the dynasty draft portion of today's show. We've already done quarterbacks and running backs the last two weeks. And since we had an unusual number of waiver options for it being this late in the season, I thought we'd skip to tight ends this week and save wide receivers for, for next week. And we'll probably have fewer waiver wire guys to discuss. It's going to be an unbelievable task to try to rank the top 10 wide receivers from a dynasty perspective, but we're a bit thinner at tight end. I think it's fair to say if we get under yeah. 26 years old, under 26, let's see that cuts out as I scroll down. That means no George Kittle. That means no Mark Andrews, no Dallas Goddard, no Mike Gesicki, who just turned 26, no Hunter Henry, and no Robert Tanyan, among some others. So, you know, there's not as many guys here. And because of that, we're only going to do the top eight because it's it gets pretty dark. It gets pretty dark after that, Derek. I'll get things started here because I want the easy guy here. I think it's, it's, it's obviously Kyle Pitts, right? It's been a disappointing fantasy season for the people that drafted him as a top five fantasy option this year. I would say like entering the year, I said that was a bit of a mistake. Tight ends always take more time. Even somebody we think is a generational talent that 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 could take more time. But hilariously, even though it hasn't worked out from a fantasy perspective for Pitts, I think I was dead wrong about that because 58 catches, 847 yards, puts him on a 16 game pace for 968 yards as a rookie. It's insane as a rookie, but I mean, that's really, really good for anybody at the position, no matter how experienced they are. He has a 19.8% target share, is sixth among tight ends. Uh, Hawkinson is the only one that's under 26 that's above him. He's got 13.4 yards per catchable target. That's first among all tight ends with 25 or more targets. It's just like special, special, special stuff. So to me, this is the only reason it hasn't worked out from a fantasy perspective is bad touchdown luck. He has one touchdown this season, insane, but 4.7 expected touchdowns based on the, the area of his targets. That latter total is sixth at the position, tied with Dawson Knox, who has eight touchdowns. It's like unbelievably fluky in my mind that he hasn't scored more. His 3.7 touchdown shortfall is the highest among tight ends by nearly a full touchdown. He's got 21 red zone targets. That's fourth highest. It just he hasn't scored. I don't think there's anything to it, but like you tell me, Derek, is there any reason not to think that Pitts is a special talent at the position? No, I think he's everything that 
that he was promised to be. Like, he is just – I've said it before, but, like, his body control for a player that size and the way that he can just find the ball no matter where it is, no matter if it's high, low, outside his frame, whatever. Yeah. It's really, really special stuff. And then, obviously, he's just a unicorn of an athlete. So, yeah, the touchdown luck is weird. It's It sucks for people that, that really wanted him to be, like, the best tight end in the league immediately. But, like, that's going to figure itself out, I think. He's incredible. Yeah, and so he has 10.6 yard average depth of target is by far the most among tight ends. And he looks like a wide receiver, right? So mm-hmm. like that that's the difference. It's like you're getting you're getting a, like a special wide receiver with tight end eligibility. It's just like an unfair advantage basically to have at the position. One thing that's kind of occurred to me, so I mentioned he has the 21 red zone targets. That ties him with Dawson Knox, Travis Kelsey, um, Schultz, and, and Cam Brate. They have eight, five, five, and two touchdowns this season. So, like, there's a, it's pretty shocking that he only has one. And it reminded me that Julio Jones, another freak athlete for the, for the Falcons, like, never could score, even though he was getting at times force fed the ball in the end zone. It seems like because reporters kept asking why he couldn't score and it just, it wouldn't happen. Is there anything to the Falcons offense that is like screwing this up in a way that might continue to happen into the future? Or can we just say that this is a weird fluke? I think for Pitts, it's a weird fluke. I think for Jones, Jones always had like a weird inability to like navigate tight space in it, which is odd because he was like athletically gifted enough to do it. He just, he could get kind of like clunky. I, I don't know. It was weird. He just, I don't think it was like the opposite issue of why Adam Thielen is good. Like Adam Thielen. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a big guy too. He's still like six one six two or whatever, but he navigates space incredibly well and can get low. I think Jones kind of always struggled with that. I don't think Pitts has an issue with that for his size. It's just, yeah, I think this year he kind of got unlucky. Okay. So I think, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Pitts is the slam dunk number one dynasty tight end under 26. I'm a little not as confident in number two, but I'm curious if you are, who do you have there? I still feel really good about TJ Hawkinson. I think, I think um, mostly because like what you mentioned earlier, just the volume of targets he gets, whether it is still going to be golf moving forward, whether it's, even a rookie next year, like I think especially the next couple of years, like it's going to take them a while to really fully overhaul this wide receiver room anyway. So I think at least for the next couple of years, you have pretty good comfort that he's going to continue to get a lot of targets. But I also just think that when he was healthy, um, you know, this year and last year, like just the way that he moves for a guy as physical as he is, is pretty insane. Um, I don't think he's like quite as explosive as like George Kittle. I think George mm. Kittle's way better with the ball in his hands, but just the way that he can move at that size is pretty insane. Um, I still have a lot of confidence in him being the guy. I know some of the other younger players um, are also very intriguing, but I just think he's like the true definition of like a wide tight end, and he's one of the best in the league. Yeah, so I mentioned this with Pitts, but Hawkinson is leading the the tight ends under 26 with a 20.5% target share. That's the fifth highest among all tight ends, and it's, it's kind of puts him in a little bit of another class in terms of fantasy production to date so far in his career. I was curious about whether that was like, is it there any chance that the lack of other talented skill players on the Lions might be a reason for that, and then maybe things could change over time? But I think the answer for me is I don't think it really will. So Hawkinson has 9.4 yards per catchable target, which is a good number, but not a standout total. So like maybe he's a second-tier player in terms of like a field stretcher. But 0.074 plus minus per catchable target, that's first among tight ends under 26. So to me, I just feel like, you know, maybe he's not the supreme athlete, but like, is he like a better version of Greg Olson? So like maybe somebody that's not going to like really move the needle from an athletic perspective, maybe not just excel after the catch, but he's going to move it. He's going to catch everything he gets thrown to 
I think he's very valuable, like good all around, maybe not like a special, special talent, but good enough for me to be my number two tight end. I think absolutely. I think, you know, like to your point, he's a different athlete than, you know, Kelsey and Kittle. I think those guys are like better clearly in space. Whereas I think Hawkinson is more, he's a good enough athlete for the way that he plays kind of like Olsen. Um, and just the way that he can box people out after already, you know, getting some of that separation is just, I don't know. I think he's, he's incredibly, the, the floor is insanely high. I think with mm-hmm. Hawkinson is the best way to put it. Okay, well, my third pick is actually a guy that I don't know if the floor is quite up there. We just haven't seen as much from him so far in his career. But I still went with uh, rookie Pat Fryermuth of the Steelers. He was a second-round pick in the 2021 draft. And, like, to me, he's, like, even on the other side of what we were talking about within Pitts to then Hawkinson, where he has a 5.4-yard average depth of target. That's the second lowest among tight ends under 26. And so you get into the question of, you know, is that Roethlisberger just not really being able to get the ball down the field? Or is it maybe more about Fryermuth or maybe a combination of the two? And where I settled is that, like, he's a really good, yeah, basically mover of the change, catcher of the football, whatever, 0.071 plus minus per catchable target. That's second of the guys under 26. Maybe not a field stretcher, but seems like he's very sure-handed and has proven already that he's a very good red zone option. Seven touchdowns versus 4.9 expected touchdowns. That that first number is amazing, given that he didn't even really start playing a lot until week six. And it's while the the touchdown surplus is high, I wonder if you think that Fryermuth has maybe some special skills to score in the red zone. Because I almost feel like tight ends more than wide receivers say maybe can sustain that surplus because of the size, because of the movement skills, whatever the case may be. But it seems to me like Fryermuth maybe better than the like Heath Miller comparisons we were being sold. Like it's been a very encouraging rookie year. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the red zone stuff is absolutely um, sustainable, maybe not like quite to this degree, but I, I think kind of like you mentioned because of his size, because of he's not the best athlete, but he's still pretty damn athletic for mm-hmm. a guy, his size. Um, and I think he can go up for the ball in the air. And I think even if he doesn't have to go up for it, just the way that he can keep people boxed out and like play with his hands way out in front of his own frame to make sure that he's getting hands on the ball first. I mean, shoot, we just saw, you know, last night with Jimmy Graham basically doing the opposite where he, <laughs> he kind of short arms it and lets Patrick Peterson jump ahead of him. And I think, you know, with Fryermuth, that's not as much of an issue. I think he's a lot better at understanding how to keep himself clean and keep the ball clean. Um, so I think that's going to be really nice for him moving forward. As far as Ben being a problem, I, I don't know if, you know, Fryman's ever going to be a field stretcher the way that, like, Darren Waller is. I don't think sure. that's really in the cards. But I do think that he could get a lot more, like, intermediate-ish targets, you know, 15 yards deep um, with a quarterback who could, you know, maybe be more willing to test those windows, which obviously Ben at this point in his career is not that guy anymore. Of course, but won't be that guy next year either since the Steelers are going to have to find a new quarterback to to throw Fryermuth the ball. Curious, would would Fryermuth have been your third choice at tight end? I think there's there's several guys here that in my mind are pretty close together. He actually wouldn't have been. I actually think I would have taken Noah Fant. Um, I know Fant has been a little disappointing this year relative to, I think, some of the hype that he got in coming into the season, even including for myself. I think just what I saw from him, to me, he kind of felt like what Eric Ebron was supposed to be, just in terms of this hyper-athletic guy who can, um, you know, he can be enough of a blocker as like an inline guy and he can he can get you by and then you can still mm-hmm. split him out, do a lot of the wide receiver stuff. He can be like your true X at certain points, even though the Denver offense in particular doesn't really need him to be that. Um, I think just for a guy his size, he moved too, too well in space, almost like, you know, it's closer to the Kittle type of mold of player. I don't think he's that good, but obviously that was yeah. like 
kind of what he could be. And so I still think that if, you know, the offense can maybe figure itself out a little bit more, maybe get a little bit better quarterback, maybe get a little bit of a better play caller than Pat Shermer, that he could still be, you know, one of the better tight ends in the league. It's just, you know, I think he was supposed to be that this year and didn't quite get there. Yeah, I would say what what if Eric Ebron had hands was maybe maybe yeah. what no <laughs> it's like Yeah, and the funny thing is like Fan had really big issues with that as a rookie, mm-hmm. and then that's not really been as much of an issue, you know. Yeah, I mean 0.053 plus minus per catchable target, very good. I didn't go back to look at Ebron's plus minus per se, but he was always oh, a positional leader in drop rate, yeah. and you just gotta figure it probably crossed over into that in that sense. So like feel good about that, feel good about his ninth highest 18.4% target share. So you just it just seems like you just need a new quarterback. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm more optimistic for the Broncos than a lot of teams that they can upgrade there because there is a lot of surrounding talent. Uh, so I think that's good for Fant too. And I had Fant fourth. And so it was kind of a debate there between him and Fryermuth for me. And I like the choice. All right. At fifth, I feel like there may be a little bit more of a drop off here, but I went with Dawson Knox, who I would say that I think the touchdowns, you know, I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. Eight touchdowns, I feel like, has been a little bit fortunate so far this season. He has 4.7 expected touchdowns. His 3.3 touchdown surplus is the second biggest among all tight ends. But another guy where, you know, it's it wouldn't be shocking for him to sustain something of a surplus most seasons because six foot four, 254, like he's a big body for the red zone. I mentioned all this stuff about how Josh Allen, I think, makes this offense particularly dynamic in the red zone and how that could help, you know, a bigger body like Knox really excel there. So you feel good about that. And while I would say that he had previously had some major drop issues, that seems a lot better so far this year as well. 0.062 plus minus per catchable target. It seems like he's kind of rounding into form. It took three years maybe, but you know what? That's true for most tight ends. So that that's who I landed on for number five. I mean, I think I would have agreed with that. I think kind of to your point, yeah, like Maybe this touchdown surplus is a little bit insane, but I think like we talked about with Frymuth, um, and I think it applies to him. Like he, I think especially with the current construction of the Bills offense, where he is very much the best guy that they have for that. I know a little I talked a little bit earlier how like Davis is kind of that relative to their receivers, but like Knox even dwarfs mm-hmm. that. You know, yes. you know what I mean? So I think it's just he's kind of in a perfect situation to be what he is. All right, cool. So that knocks out the top five. We're gonna hit three more here. Interested to hear where you go. Like a lot of options, none necessarily slam dunks. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm going to go with Dalton Schultz. Um, Compared to the rest of this list, he might be one of like the lower ceiling types Mm -hmm. just in terms of, I think we just know what he is at this point. Um, He's been in the league for long enough that I think we have a pretty good idea that he's the guy who can kind of stretch the field, but not really. He's going to be a little bit more in like the the underneath uh, area, that sort of thing. And he's going to be a really good blocker for them. I think that's kind of what his skill set is. You know, that's kind of just who he is. And I think we're not going to get anything more than that. Um, But I think that we what we've seen from this Cowboys offense is I think they are really, really good when they understand how to get their tight ends involved. And I think particularly when they have both of their guys healthy, I think they do a good job of getting both of them in the mix. So I think this is kind of part of what the the Cowboys want to be in terms of an identity to have a player like him. So I think he's going to continue to have a role in the offense. And you just you just hope that they can, you know, maybe they keep killing more and they can keep, you know, doing what they do on offense. Yeah, because this is where I think we're kind of butting up against what the metrics can really tell you. Because like I have mm-hmm. 0.05 plus minus per catchable target. That's really good. Fourth best among the under 26 tight ends. 10.2 yards per catchable target. That's second 
like second among the tight ends under 26. And like, I would say second tier, like very, very nice. I think that's probably as much about the offense and Dak Prescott is about, is it is about Schultz himself. And I would like the, the distillation of this for me is that, you know, Schultz was a fourth round draft pick in 2018. Like he just, he wasn't thought of in the same sense that some of these other first and second round guys were. And I think that that's the easiest way that I can like metrically communicate to you why he's not quite on that level, but it's not a bad thing that he's getting a lot of yards on his targets and not a bad thing that he's catching a lot of his targets. And he's got 21 red zone targets as well. That's tied for fourth among tight ends. So if you pulled him out of the situation, I think it would be worse, but I expect he's going to be part of the Cowboys going forward for the next several years. And I think that really boosts him relative to some of the guys that come a bit later. Okay. What are we, are we at number six here? I think that's right. I think I was six. You were six. So okay. So two, yeah. two more guys. All right. I really struggled at this point, um, but I landed on Cole Komet for the Bears. I think people would probably be surprised to hear his 18.8% target share. That's eighth highest among all tight ends this year and third highest among the under 26 guys. And, you know, speaking about draft cut pedigree, he was a second rounder in 2020. So, like, he was thought of as one of these next sort of guys. He's got 9.2 yards per catchable target. Not a top tier again, but like Hawkinson's at 9.4, kind of in that same range. Everything has been there so far except the touchdown scoring. And I think there, there are two, maybe three main reasons why there hasn't been the touchdown scoring. The most obvious is that he's been unlucky. Zero touchdowns this year, but 2.8 expected touchdowns. That 2.8 touchdown shortfall is the second biggest among tight ends this year. He is six foot six and 260. You feel like he would probably be fine in the red zone. So I would say Jimmy Graham's a problem. Get him out of there, right? Like, hopefully he's not going to be there anymore. He's like 38 years old. He's even older than me. Like, if you're in the NFL and you're older than me, you're old. <laughs> Um, so I like, get him out of there. I think that'll help. I think maybe giving Justin Fields another year, maybe with a better coaching staff, I think that could potentially help. So like, to me, it's pretty easy to connect the dots of how Komet ends up being a top 10 tight end as soon as next year in fantasy. And, and that's kind of a tiebreaker when a lot of the other guys on the list haven't produced in fantasy either. I mean, I think kind of to your point with, you know, maybe getting some, some other guys out with getting Graham out with, you know, maybe getting fields another year. Cause we've even seen, I think even there was a play uh, this past week, or maybe it was against the Packers where fields tried to target commit over the middle, you know, the front part of the mm -hmm. end zone. And it kind of seemed like commit thought he was supposed to settle fields thought he was supposed to break it back out a little bit. Those sorts of communication things are probably going to iron out if fields gets another year. Um, which could help with some of the unluckiness that that Komet has dealt with uh, in the red zone. So I think he probably has the highest ceiling. I think it's just, um, you know, I think the reason I took Schultz over him was just the floor is, mm -hmm. to me, a lot higher. But I also think, like, his floor and ceiling is a lot higher than anybody else I have left to pick here. So I feel like there's some other high ceilings still left, um, but the floors are, are very low. So who yeah. did you end up with? Eighth is where we're stopping with eight. So this is the the penultimate or the, the, the last one that we're going to go with in the dynasty draft. At this point, I'm just going to swing on Irv Smith. I know he's mm -hmm. been very disappointing relative to what he was supposed to be with the Vikings, but he was just too athletic coming out of Alabama that I, I am willing to just, you know, <laughs> pick him and see what happens. Maybe if he gets a, you know, a new start somewhere else, he can kind of figure it out. But I just thought he was too athletic, too good in space to um, completely fizzle out. So I think I'm willing to take the swing on his ceiling given 
I don't really like the ceiling or floor of any of these other players <laughs> either. <laughs> so Smith, I don't even feel like he was that disappointing. I just the Vikings didn't give him the ball enough because he yeah. had eleven point eight yards per catchable target in twenty twenty. It's like very he just very can't good. block for anything. So you he's, just hope that maybe somebody gets a, drills that into him. Yeah, he's a receiver, but that can be fine. Like if if a team can treat you like Travis Kelsey, then that can be fine. Mm-hmm. And so like I'm I'm still optimistic there as well. Yeah, I think it hurts him that he missed all of the season with a torn meniscus. But you're wondering if maybe the Vikings do a total overhaul with the coaches and everything. Maybe the equation will change a little bit and they'll, somebody will come in and be like, yeah, let's use this guy as a receiver. I think that may end up working for him. He was in my mix here as well. I thought about Tommy Trimble. Maybe I'm biased as a Panthers fan because like the numbers haven't necessarily been good this year. His, his negative 1.57 yak plus per catch. That's pretty low. Um, but, you know, nine point yard. 9.0 yard average depth of target is high. I feel like he's got a lot of potential. He's very young. You don't really expect from the non-pits rookie tight ends. You don't really expect much. So I think the ceiling is there. You know, Adam Troutman was in the mix too. He was a third rounder last year. So not surprising that he hasn't done much so far in his career. Uh, but you feel like maybe he's the number one tight end for the Saints going forward. That could be a good thing. I don't think you like Brevin Jordan too much. Was there was there anybody on the list that was like, maybe we should get him into this top eight? I, I did think about Tommy Tremble a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but like you just said, I was pretty out on Trevin jo- uh, on Brevin Jordan. I'm also just out on Adam Troutman. Um, he's way too big to block as poorly as he does, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, and I, I just don't know if he can really separate as a tight end. So uh, I did think about Tremble just because he does have some of the blocking pedigree, um, and he has at least a little bit more potential of being a more recent draft pick. So um, ultimately landed on Smith, but I did think Tremble was, was probably worth considering. Trimble, Trimble for me, it's like it, you're enticed by what you haven't seen. Like we just haven't mm-hmm. had the exposure to probably what the problems are, but like he never right. got very many targets in college and has like a George Kittle-esque type of athletic profile. And you're like, maybe this could work out, even though he's had 30 targets in the last four <laughs> years of his football career. But you know, I'm optimistic. There were a lot of like news reports about how he was kind of a guy for the Panthers this year. And I'm optimistic for him if, if he can have improved situations for his team as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that knocks out the dynasty draft, knocks out the week sixteen waiver wire. I think we're good. Uh, this show is going to be on a, on a pause on Friday for the holiday, so you're going to be done with me for the week. I hate to tell everybody that's that's desperate for some more fantasy content, but Football Outsiders has your back. We have shows the next two days, Wednesday and Thursday, with Aaron Schatz, Mike Tanier, um, and, and some guests doing the Ask Me Anything and then doing the week week sixteen non fantasy preview, which is definitely worth checking out. So everybody, check that out on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network and live on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and and YouTube, the main one, I guess. Um, so check that out Monday or Wednesday and Thursday at 1 p.m. Derek, what else do you have going on maybe this week going into the, the rest of the, the end of the regular season? Um, you know, pretty much same old, same old still. Still doing uh, some gambling stuff over at Odds Checker. I'll obviously have my film room at Football Outsiders later in the week. And then uh, we're getting pretty close to putting in a lot of scouting reports for our mm. front seven stuff over at, uh, at Bleacher Report. So um, just, yeah, kind of get geared up for that by the time the end of the regular season ends. Yeah, I mean, I have a huge appetite for that draft stuff. I've already <laughs> actually checked out some of your rankings over there on Bleacher Report. I jumped to get Tyler Algier of BYU. I don't know any of these Nate names. Nate loves him. I'm Nate learning this really for the first him. time. It's like, oh, I, was, I saw him high on, high on Nate's list. I'm like, I better grab this guy now. So I would say that any fantasy football fans that are into dynasty uh, type of, of leagues, very much worth your time to check that out. Derek and his crew do a great job over at Bleacher Report. 
Uh, and I think that's mainly it. So everybody that still has players going on Tuesday for, for week 15, good luck to you. I hope you extend. hope some of these waiver wire options can take you home for the, for the rest of the fantasy playoffs. Thanks so much. Enjoy your holiday. And then I'll be back on the feed again next week after the holiday. So we'll look forward to catching you guys then.